So we begin a series uh, between uh, now and Advent. And we will look at the, the creeds, the confessions, the catechisms uh, that are the historical documents of our denomination. And as a result, they're the historical documents, the foundations, theologically and practically in many ways, for us as a congregation. Um, we started with these things. And so um, we're going to take a look, and today we're going to start with the Nicene Creed. I just want to re remind you about creeds and confessions and catechisms. Almost all of them are created in a historical context where the church believed there was a need to express itself more clearly, to organize its thoughts, to clarify its theology, to counter what was going on in the world around it in order to be able to address uh, the concerns of the world that the church was in at the time. And so each week we will have some little background opportunity, just a little bit of insight into uh, what each creed or confession or catechism is about. And then um, I'll preach on those different texts as we um, work through them. You'll notice in the sanctuary, as, as Matt made reference to the posters on the walls and, and uh, the roots up above here, and the title of the series is Rooted and Grounded. And the idea is simple, that these theological statements, confessions, whatever, all these different ways the church has described itself are the roots of our church, and we're invited to ground ourselves in them. And, and the things that we've done and we could have put up a whole bunch of different pictures besides the ones we have. So <clears throat> if you're not in one of them, then, well, sorry. Um, get over it. And, uh, and, uh, but they do represent um, just aspects of this church that are rooted and grounded in the life and faith of this congregation. And we hope that they will be an inspiration, not that we would go back and try to redo and recapture those moments, but they'd be an inspiration for us to do something new in this time for the people that God's called us to now. So the Nicene Creed is uh, not the oldest of our creeds or confessions. The oldest confession is a simple one from the scriptures says that Jesus is Lord. That's the oldest confession that we have as a church. The uh, uh, oldest um, creed we have is the Apostles' Creed, but it didn't get formalized till later. And the first creed that we formalized was the uh, Nicene Creed. Uh, AD uh, 312, Constantine becomes the emperor. You can read this stuff in your bulletin or whatever, but, but um, he becomes the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. And he fought in a battle that he won, and that was the turning of the tide, and he attributed his victory to Jesus Christ. And um, as, as the church gained favored status in the uh, empire, it's a bit of a mixed bag for us. We become the favored religion, um, and yet at the same time, um, you might say it's the downfall of the church um, from about 325 AD on. Uh, it's, a, it's an odd uh, mix. Ron, you laughed out loud. I don't think everybody else got that. You want to read loud, 
laugh a little louder, but, but uh, for the, from 325 on. And um, the creed was adopted at a council that, that um, Constantine called. He had a motto, and his motto will strike you as being really similar to our passage this morning from Ephesians, except there's a couple changes in it. His motto was one God, one Lord, one faith, one church, one empire, one emperor. Hmm. What was the issue? Well, the issue was that Arius, who was from Alexandria in Egypt, uh, he was born in Libya, but, but uh, became a, a, a pastor, a presbyter in uh, Alexandria. Uh, he said, and had a bunch of followers that said that God... Uh, created the divine Christ before the beginning of time. He was therefore similar to God, but not exactly God. Athanasius and, and the bishop Alexander of Alexandria um, both countered that and stated that the divinity of Jesus was um, from the beginning. It always was. He was of the same substance as God the creator. And so God, Father, Christ, Son, Holy Spirit are an extension of God's substance or essence. Why did it matter? Well, this new world religion, and it's still fairly young in the world at just about 300 years old. Um, this new world religion was distinct from other religions. Arius' position made Christianity more like religions of the past and neighboring religions and not the unique expression of the one God. Remember that the Jewish understanding of God that was unique in the world at the time was that there was one God. Pantheism, polytheism, the the religions of the world at that time basically said there were multitudes of gods and you had to do obeisance to all these different gods. And so it was like if we walked out of here this morning and we walked out and we saw the tree, we would make some sort of acknowledgement of the God that's in the tree or in the rock or in the sky or in the clouds, in the rain or in the sun, in the heat and the cold. But there there was always this magical view of gods that if you only had the right words and the right um, magical phrases, you could manipulate the gods in your favor. And this was what was being threatened, that this Christian belief was held up and upheld in Nicaea by communicating that God was one person represented in three persons. So it held on to this unity of God. Why did it matter? Well, so much of our understanding of who Jesus is in the New Testament underscores that when we see Jesus, we get to see into the very character of God. That there's no separation, there's no distance now between God and and God's people. That that distance has been bridged in the incarnation of Jesus. Why should I care? Well, we live in a world, in a time, 
when people call all kinds of things gods. We try over and over to appease and manipulate and trick these gods into making us happy or prosperous or to extend our lives. It's not all that different than the fourth century, only that we have often substituted um, the mystery of technology and given it the role of making us happy. Like in the fourth century, our unique message is that there is a God who created all things and loves all of its, his creation that this one God has made. We have a unique perspective on God and history by having one immutable God. God is knowable through the person of Jesus. That's why we should care. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing Sanctuary and uh, get back to this as a sermon. Scripture reading for this creed comes from Ephesians chapter 4, the first six verses. Hear God's word. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Pray with me. 
God, that we would take your word seriously. And not just listen casually. In Jesus' name, amen. I shared with you um, last week of a conversation that I've had with a friend of mine. And um, we, uh, it obviously still is something that I think on because it's still in my mind. Uh, Ignatius would say, if an image or a series of words or an experience keeps coming back into your thoughts and hearts and mind, then that is an important experience you need to pay attention to. Uh, those are important words to pay attention to. Ignatian would call it um, the focus of an examine. In other words, you would just stay with those images for a while and learn the lessons. And so uh, this image, this experience keeps coming back to me. We had this heated conversation about a political and moral issue. And, um, and this last week, we saw each other again. And um, I thanked him for the conversation. I thanked him for a couple of things. One was, I rarely have an opportunity to say exactly what I think to anybody. Um, I certainly don't do it here. Um, yeah, because, because I still have to come back tomorrow. And so it's, it's, uh, it's best some things are left unsaid unless we have time to explore them. And I said, I also learned some things on the perspective that my friend held. And then he said this, you know, there is no political position or topic that is important enough to ruin a friendship. And he meant our friendship. Unity above agreement is how I took that. We really don't have to agree. But we will never hold up the issue as being more important than our friendship. I think it's the secret of the gospel and our witness. Maintain the unity of the Spirit, says Paul, in the bond of peace. It's the unity of the Spirit. with God the Creator and Jesus the Son that's extended to you and to me. The characteristic of the oneness of God that gets translated to us is the call for us to reflect in our body, the church, the very person of God. Maintain the unity of the Spirit of God, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit. Maintain that unity. It's the model of our community. Community is a gift from God. It's not something that we choose or we make. The saving grace of community is that God puts the most unlikely people together and says, now get along. You didn't choose the people of this church to be with. And there are people in this room 
for with whom you disagree, and rather vehemently, I might add. I might add. There are people in this room that um, you go, huh, not sure. I, I think maybe I'll sit on the other side of the sanctuary today. Um, there are people that when it comes time to do the greeting, you just as soon avoid. Isn't it like that? The saving grace of community is that you don't get to choose who's here. And so community, the way God thinks about it, is possible because God does the choosing and the calling. C.S. Lewis tries to describe this experience in his little book called Screwtape Letters. The Screwtape Letters were a series of letters written by um, uh, an, an older demon to a young demon, and he's teaching them how to tempt human souls so they'll serve the father below. Lewis said it was the hardest book he ever wrote because he had to put on a pers the perspective of a devil each time he sat, sat down to write because he was always writing in that person in the book. And in it, there's a, this advice going back and forth um, from screw tape to Wormwood. Wormwood's the understudy. And this is what... Um, also, this is the book that, um, just a little aside on Lewis, it's the book that Lewis wrote that put him um, in disfavor with uh, the other professors at Oxford. He never achieved status as, as a tenured professor, as a, as a don, which meant he wouldn't have to teach under, undergrads. He could just write and teach graduate students. And uh, it... He never got that status at Oxford, in large because this book was so popular and people really didn't like its popularity. They were a little jealous. Anyway, here's the, here's the letter. My dear Wormwood, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. Do not indulge the hope that you will escape the usual penalties. Indeed, in your better moments, I trust, you would hardly even wish to do so. In the meantime, we must make the best of the situation. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham Gothic erection of the new building estate. When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer with a rather oily expression on his face, bustling up to offer him one shiny little book containing a liturgy, which neither of them understands, and one shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad, and in very small print. When he gets to his pew and looks around, he seems to see just that selection of his neighbors whom he hitherto has avoided. 
You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors. Make this, his mind fit to and fro, flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. It makes very little of, uh, it matters very little, of course, what kind of people that next pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. No matter, you're patient, thanks to our father below, is a fool. Affectionately, your uncle Screwtape. We look on the surface of things and we rarely can see below the surface to what really is grounding and rooted in our lives. The gospel puts forth an alternative to the way we behave, the way we have been church, and calls us to present to the world a community that overcomes its divisions not by dividing up but valuing our unity above our differences. We so easily desert the gift of community. Evil seeks to tear us apart. God intends to bring all people together. It is, after all, God's own character that we're modeled after. So what does that look like? Our creed says it's like God. It's like Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is, is this remarkable image of all that God is. It's like Ephesians 2 with all humility and gentleness, Jesus takes on the human form and humbles himself and becomes a servant for our sake. Unity looks like that. Back to our text, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And here's the part that I think we've just got to reclaim as people making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How much effort? Every effort. Make every effort. Don't let it be casual. Don't let it be convenient. It isn't something you can go, well, it's just not going to work. Do this here and now. It's one of the reasons for the incarnation. To press us to be in the moment of our history. To be real-time people of God in the here and now, reflecting the very nature of God in the body of Christ. You're individually members of it. We're not the whole thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his little book, Life Together, reminds us that if we love the idea of community more than the people we've been given, 
then true community is destroyed. One is a fantasy, the image of what community is supposed looks like. The other is the reality. God had us rooted in real people in real time that we would work through the differences and maintain the unity of the Spirit. Our witness is the very revelation of the character of God to the world. And the world needs us to demonstrate this now more than ever. The threat to the church is not interior debates or theological differences. The threat to the church is that we would cease to be representative of who God is. Then we lose our mission. Then we lose our identity. And then we cease to be the church. Jean Vanier, um, who himself has had his own troubles in life, um, started uh, a ministry called Large Communities. They've had their challenges as well. But they were uh, communities uh, that had people um, living in community with people with um, uh, mental, social challenges. And he says, community also means a death to ego in order that people might grow to become one body, truly belonging to each other. If the image of what it means to be unified, all thinking and acting in lockstep, if that image is what it means, then community is doomed. Our witness will be as strong as our lack of ego in maintaining it. It will be strong when we replace fracturing over issues with unity in Jesus. Have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something he had to hold on to or exploit or grasp. We have a, a unique time in the life of our world and church to value all of God's children. And if I would say just a specific word to us, those who have rejected our fellowship and have moved on. Our job is to make every effort to maintain unity whether people are with us or not. Our job is to show the strength of the power of God in our unity to a world that just wants to fracture. It's not easy. It will take every effort. Do not lose heart. God is with us. Pray with me. God, I don't know how it works, 
I don't know how we can be one. As you are one. And that is a mystery. But I know we haven't been left to our own devices that your son who has become one of us invites us to become one with you. To that end, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'll invite you to stand. We'll sing together, The Earth is Yours.